Um, it's been a joyful morning for us. Thanks very much. It's been a busy weekend. We were in St. Louis for the installation of the new president. So greetings from those folks. Um, Dr. Kleinig and his wife Claire have had a whirlwind tour, uh, you know, here and there. They'll actually go back to St. Louis today. So we're very grateful that he's here with us again today. Um, it's beneficial for the pastors as well. It stretches us uh, to hear how Dr. Kleinig speaks about theology in a, in a way that is on the other side of the world. That's very helpful for us too, as it is, I am, I'm sure, for all of you. It was a big morning. Thanks for the music to the musicians and to all the folks who helped put the catechumenate together. You know, it shortens our time together, but uh, you get Kleinig one way or the other. You get him in the pulpit or you get him here, so I'm glad that you've come. Uh, if, you, if you know people who still are interested in St. John, they can certainly still join the catechumenate. Please get their names to me. If you have children who need to go to Sunday school, you know, we're off and running, here we go. Let me again remind you, if you can come help uh, next door, things are really, pick, the pace is really picking, picking up next door, so two things. If you want to come help, Mondays and Wednesdays at 6, Saturday in the morning at 8.30, there's all kinds of tasks to be doing. And also, if you still have a CapCam gift that's out, if you still got a little bit of a balance, send that through because now we're spending money. For a long time, we took a lot of money and we're spending money now uh, at a quick pace, which is good. That's what we were meant to do. Uh, so that's very good. This goes to Russia today. Um, the bishop was there yesterday, as was the rector. Uh, Streltsov and Lit Litkin were both there. So that was very nice. If you got an extra 10 cents, just toss it in there. We'll send it to the folks uh, in Russia. Um, and that looks like, I, I, my guess is that uh, under the new rules, the, the, there were a whole bunch of new rules passed. Under the new rules, the president of the synod can now declare ultimate pulpit fellowship and have that confirmed later. My guess is that the Russians will very quickly have official ultimate pulpit fellowship with us. That's something you all have worked for and contributed to for many years now to start that church. So we're very grateful. Uh, we're very grateful again to have the Kleinigs here. It's a great gift whenever they come. Uh, we'll rejoice in today, short as it is. Um, and then you can mark your calendar because they'll be back again next summer to help us. They'll be going to Camp Arcadia one week, so we're certain, I think, to get them here unless somebody else gets them on the calendar first. So um, we're very grateful, and especially for your care and wisdom for the pastors. If you could pray and start us, we'd be grateful. Thank you. We thank you, gracious God, that you sent your Son to seek and find us and to bring us back to you. We pray today for the gift of your Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to teach us, to encourage us, and to fill our hearts with joy. We pray that you will send us out into the coming week as those who rejoice in you and praise you in all we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A short study. Now, you, you, you'll cue me in when I've got to stop because once I get wound up, you know, there's no stopping. Um, first of all, I'd like to bring you greetings from the President of the Lutheran Church of Australia, Dr. Mike Semler, who sends very warm greetings to each and every one of you. The story is told that one of the wise men who came to visit Jesus in Bethlehem um, was perturbed that Jesus was there lying in a manger. And so he asked baby Jesus, what can I do for you? What can I give you? You're here in a cow shed let me give you 
a palace. And Jesus says, no, I don't need a palace. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And the man says then, well, at least I can give you some of my riches, my wealth. And baby Jesus says, no, I've not come to receive riches, but to enrich those that I come to seek. And the wise man says, well then, what can I give to you? What do you want from me? And Jesus says, give me your sins. That's what I want from you. Give me your sins. I want to just have a few things to say about something which is part of your communion service, and that's the prayer of offering that you pray immediately after the sermon as the offering is brought forward. It's part of the Psalm of David, Psalm 51, which is one of the seven penitential psalms. Now, if I had a bit more time, I would have gone through the whole psalm, but I want to just focus on a few verses in the middle of this psalm, Psalm 51, if you've got Bibles, well and good. Um, I will pick it up at verse 10. Now just listen to what David prays. Remember, he'd committed adultery with Bathsheba and he had killed her husband. They were two mortal sins. The penalty for both of those was death. He didn't have a leg to stand on before God. All he had to do the only possibility for him was to appeal to God's grace. And his sin had undone him. And this is what he prays then, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence and take your, or take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from, from blood guilt. Blood guilt is the penalty of death. Um, o oh God, the God who saves me, that my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God, that's the sacrifices that God wants from us, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you do not despise. In this psalm, David prays for God to undo the effect of sin. You all know the way sin affects you. It's part of your experience. But in many ways, we're often blind to the obvious things that are before us. What, when I sin, when I've got a guilty conscience, how does that affect me? First of all, it pollutes me. It makes me unclean. It doesn't make me unclean physically, although sometimes people even feel that. 
but it makes my heart, my conscience unclean. It's, um, and as a result of sin, I am alienated from God, excluded from God's presence. I lose the Holy Spirit. And most obviously, and most tangibly, it leads to a loss of joy. The joy of the Lord, the joy of my salvation, disappears and something within me dies. I don't die physically, but my spirit dies. And uh, the result of that is that I no longer have reason to rejoice. I've no reason to praise God. I am silenced before God. I have no sacrifice that I can bring that will pay for what I've done. There's no atonement that can be made for my sin. And so then, in turn, this psalm prays for the undoing of those effects of sin. First of all, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do you notice that word create? It's, it's as if I've died and God has got to create something out of nothing, a new person again, to create me as a new person with a steady spirit, a steadfast spirit, because I've lost my stability and I am no longer steady anymore. I'm no longer on solid ground. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit away from me. Don't exclude me, but most of all, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now I want to focus on three things. How am I going? Okay, good. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Who do you think is best equipped to teach people who are sinners about the grace of God. It's the same as, say, alcoholics. Who is best equipped to help an alcoholic? It's a former alcoholic. Who is best equipped to help a person who suffers from addiction to drugs? It's somebody who's been there, has experienced it, and has experienced the deliverance from addiction, and that's terrible, as you all know. Who is best equipped to tell the good news, to witness to sinners? The answer is sinners. One sinner telling another sinner about the ways of God. And what are the ways of God that sinners can teach? And God's way is remarkable that God judges sin, but then, most remarkably, what does he do to sinners? He judges sin and takes it upon himself, and then he forgives sinners. He cleanses them. Um, that's wonderful good news. Okay, um, then, O oh Lord, uh, and how do you best teach people the good news of God? Now, one of the things that happens is that uh, uh, the Christian message is so marvellous that it's basically incredible. It's unbelievable. Well, 
What happens then when you experience something way out, extraordinary, too good to be true? The only way you can communicate it to others is just tell somebody how good it is and you go into the language of praise. How do we best bear witness as sinners, as people who have sinners, to a gracious God, a forgiving God? It is through praising him, the language of praise. And so David then asked God to transform him from a silent sinner, a sinner who has been silenced, who has no reason to praise God because he's dead in sin, to a praise singer. Just listen to what he says. O Lord, open my lips. Why? So that my mouth will show forth your praise. So that my mouth will show forth your praise. Now, what this psalm has in mind is something that was anybody in the ancient world would have been familiar with. Um, you see, the Israelites were surrounded by pagan people, and pagan people had idols. The idols were the means by which they could access a god, contact, uh, contact their god. And after an idol was made, there was a special ceremony which was called the open, opening of the lips, or the opening of the mouth. The priest would open the eyes of the idol so that the God who was in the idol would see the people who came to the idol. He would open the lips of the idol so that that idol would become the mouthpiece of God. And he would breathe in the idol so that the spirit of the God would go into the idol. And the idol would cease to be an idol and become the embodiment of God. Now that's the picture here. David sees himself as something like a statue. Um, dead statue, and he asked God to open his lips. Why? So that from this point onwards, his whole life would be a life in which he praised God for his grace, his mercy. And that the joy that he experienced then would be shared with others. Because that's the nature of joy. Just as misery seeks its own company, so joy seeks the company of others. If you're filled with joy, it's got to come out. You've got to share it. And when you share it, it's doubled, it's trebled, it just multiplies. And you do that by praising the source of joy. In this case, it is the Lord who graciously cleanses and receives sinners. Lastly, David goes on to say, you, for you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you do not desire. A broken and contrite heart. Instead of a, the broken body of an animal being offered to God to atone for sin, what God wants from you, what God wants from me, is the broken and contrite heart. Remember the story I told you at the beginning? What is it that you have to offer to Jesus? You come with empty hands. There's nothing that you can do that he needs. There's nothing that you can bring that can atone for the things you've done. There's nothing that you can do that can cleanse you 
from the stain of sin. The one thing that you can offer to God is your sin and your broken and contrite heart. Now, why is it, and this is rather strange, why is it that in uh, the divine service, after the sermon, as the offering is brought forward, that we sing these words, create in me a clean heart, O God? Quite simply, we bring our God-pleasing offerings to God. We bring the offerings of the gifts that we have, the money. We bring the offerings of praise, but most of all, we bring the offerings of our sin. And why then? Because we're about to come to Holy Communion, and in Holy Communion, Jesus takes on our sin on his shoulders, and he gives us his own body and blood, not just to cleanse us, not just to free us from sin, but to recreate us. To recreate us as joy-filled people and to send us out into the week as praise singers. People whose lives are lives of praise. Let's pray. We thank you, gracious Heavenly Father, for the joy of our salvation. Give us your Holy Spirit, the spirit of joy, and send us on our way rejoicing this coming week. We thank you for this gift of the new day. We thank you for the gift of the week ahead of us. And we pray that you will open our eyes so that we see you in us and with us and around us and all the good things that you wish to give to us and through us give to us to others. We commend ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.